Welcome to Escape the Earth. We are a sci-fi and fantasy podcast broadcasting from an undisclosed location within the San Antonio Public Library. We are supported by the library and by the San Antonio Public Library Foundation. So a big shout out to them. I'm Mary Elizabeth. And the other crew members today are Alyssa. Hi, everybody. Tim. Cheers. And JD. Hello, all. Today, we are going to be talking about Tamsin Muir's Gideon the Night. Before we get into that, we just want to warn everyone about a couple of things. First, there will be spoilers, lots of spoilers. We go into this assuming you have read the book, and so we aren't going to tiptoe around anything. If you haven't read the book, hit that pause button, go read it, and come back. Part of our goal is to encourage people to read the books. Second, this is geared towards adults. We're not potty mouths, but sometimes the subject matter will not be for young ears. Tamsin Muir was born in 1985 in New South Wales, Australia. This is from her Wikipedia page. She moved to New Zealand when she was nine months old. She did that all on her own. Her family had nothing to do with it. She she moved as a baby, carried all her belongings. <laughs> and, no, no, she moved with her family when she was nine months old to uh, to New Zealand and grew up in Howick, New Zealand. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. In 2010, she earned a degree in education. Uh, she was a 2010 graduate of the Clarion Workshop and currently lives and works in Oxford, the United Kingdom. Muir's short story, The Deepwater Bride, was published in the magazine of fantasy and science fiction in 2015. It was nominated for the Nebula Award for Best Novelette the World Fantasy Award, Short Fiction Award, the UG Award, the Shirley Jackson Award for Best Novelette. Gideon the Ninth is Muir's first novel and the first book in the Locked Tomb series and was published in 2019. It was awarded the 2020 Locus Award for Best First Novel and the 2020 Crawford Award presented annually by the International Association of for the fantastic in the arts it was nominated for the nebula award for best novel and the hugo award for best novel as well it finished third in the goodreads choice awards for best science fiction in 2019 muir's fantasy novella princess flora linda and the 40 flight tower was published in july 2020 it received starred reviews from publishers weekly the second book in the Locked Tomb series is Harrow the Ninth, which was published in August 2020 and was a finalist for the 2021 Hugo Award for Best Novel. It was followed by Nona the Ninth in 2022, with Electo the Ninth forthcoming in 2023. After the Locked Tomb books, Tor will be publishing Muir's cyberpunk western novella trilogy beginning with Go Marching In, as well as two other books. And the one we're discussing today is, of course, Gideon the Ninth, which is the first of the Locked Tomb books. Thanks, Tim. I've got a summary for us today. This one comes straight from the book jacket. The Emperor needs necromancers. The Ninth Necromancer needs a swordswoman. Gideon has a sword, 
some dirty magazines, and no more time for undead nonsense. Brought up by unfriendly, ossifying nuns, ancient retainers, and countless skeletons, Gideon is ready to abandon a life of servitude and an afterlife as a reanimated corpse. She packs up her sword, her shoes, and her dirty magazines and prepares to launch her daring escape. But her childhood nemesis won't set her free without a service. Perohark Nonagissimus, reverend daughter of the Ninth House and Bone Witch Extraordinaire, has been summoned into action. The Emperor has invited the heirs to each of his loyal houses to a deadly trial of wits and skill. If Harrowhark succeeds, she will become an immortal, all-powerful servant of the resurrection. But no necromancer can ascend without their cavalier. Without Gideon's sword, Harrow will fail, and the ninth house will die. Of course, some things are better left dead. Dun, dun, dun. So the first question I see here is that Muir blends elements of many genres in the book. Fantasy, sci-fi, horror, mystery. What effect does this have on the read? Well, it makes it interesting, but at times it's also clunky. Like it almost doesn't know what type of book it's going to be. It goes from like action, and I don't know, gothic sci-fi to like a whodunit. But overall, I enjoyed the book. I would agree that I also overall enjoyed the book. Um, I <laughs> I had some troubles with it that in the beginning it really dragged for me. So returning to it was just like ah, this book. <laughs> it did eventually like start to pick up steam for me, and I was like, okay, yeah, this is getting really fascinating. But that was like closer to the end. <laughs> I did like the aspect of like the who done it aspect that was. That was a little like, hmm, okay. <laughs> I think in general, it could have benefited from more editing, proper editing, I would say. Um, so when you talk about it not knowing what kind of book it wanted to be, I kind of, I had that, I really had that impression with Snow Crash, like Neil Stevenson started to write this, this sci-fi book about a futuristic pizza delivery man who works for the mafia and, and then all of a sudden he was a swordsman and then we're all off on this neuro-linguistic journey. Um, I'm not getting that so much from this book, but... I was trying to get my mind wrapped around it because usually I like a blend of things and um, what you were saying there is Snow Crash is kind of all melded at once. Here it's like it'll it'll go along as like one type of story and then kind of turn into another. Like it's not blended properly. I think the troubles that I had at the beginning was I wasn't sure of the setting. I, I, for some reason, went into it thinking they were all on one world. And they were, this ninth house was just like in the very depths of the world. And they wanted, and, and um, Gideon wanted to like rise up to the surface area. But then it was, like, oh, no, that's not it at all. They're on a whole world. And this whole world is the ninth house. And they are traveling through space to get to Kanan house. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, I how did I miss that at the beginning? So there was something clunky for at the beginning where I was like, what? What am I reading? <laughs> oh, and then also like the genre parts or whatever. At times, like um, Gideon's, what, early 20s, probably? But at times it makes it seem like she's a teenage girl, just like like weird um, 
comebacks or whatever, or I don't know, some other things, and then it just totally drops it. it it's, I don't know. Yeah, more it, editing, I say. Gideon and Harrow are teenagers. I, I think they really? put Gideon, yes, they put Gideon at 18, I think, and Harrow at 17. So they're pretty young. So their their banter, I think, is appropriately juvenile. Well, well if it had stayed across the whole book, but it doesn't. At other times, they're, they're rather mature and don't seem like teens at all. Which I think is appropriate for 17 and 18-year-old <laughs> individuals, right? They're kind of in that phase where they're acting yeah. more adults and sometimes more juvenile. And it's a real mix. And they grew up together, of course, right? Practically as sisters, but it talks about that they fought the entire time. So I think- of course. I do think yeah. that I do agree. The book, um, it feels very much like a writer's first book to me, um, where it really struggles to find its footing. And it took me time to get into it. I had a hard time, Mary Elizabeth, just like you did, understanding the world, where the heck we were, what was going on, because there's that mesh. You've got science fiction with the worlds and the shuttles. You've got fantasy because you've got this awesome necromantic magic system. Um, and then you've got the mystery aspect of it. And horror, horror for me is a huge, and I'm not into really reading a lot of horror, but the gore and the horror pieces of it are, are pretty distinct. And But I think by the end of the book, it really establishes the world well and the tone well. And I think that just by adding a few cues earlier in the book and kind of setting up the world a little bit more, it would have been more immersive and less confusing for me. I agree. That's a that's a great assessment of just the uh, the read of it was you could like yeah this is oh this when we I found out oh this is her first book that makes sense like there's there's some choices that haven't quite developed yet. I was gonna say the plot the world it is ambitious it's very creative it's very unique it blends all this stuff I think what the author was trying to do is really ambitious I think it gets there but it just yeah. doesn't get there quickly it gets there like 300 pages in out of a 450 page book totally agreed I was <laughs> I was not sure if the ending was going to pay off but for me it, it totally did yeah I was very and satisfied I, I, I'm splitting hairs here but I would say uh more gothic or macabre as opposed to horror like those elements are there the skeletons are there but it's not like oh my god unless it's like mortal danger because someone's okay a skeleton's trying to kill you but well there's the part where they're hiding keys inside people's bodies and so Who that hasn't is a... done that Mary? <laughs> that's just slice of life forgive the pun and then what about the part where um at the end the 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 pale sister from the third house is in that flesh thing that's exploding and there's gore and flesh bits oh, everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yuck. It's pretty gross. <laughs> it's got that gore factor from the horror genre. Yeah, the, the gore is throughout it, though. At the beginning, she describes uh, this fantasy that she has of exploding crux like a garbage bag full of soup. <laughs> so it sounds like there's a garbage bag full of soup somewhere in there <laughs> gross oh, that image in my head now <laughs> so when you bags. compare it to another first novel like uh the lies of Locke lamora which i think was very polished um it, it certainly does not blow the way that one did for me oh that, that's another weird thing you weren't saying it but it jogged my memory um I don't show it, but I have a pretty decent vocabulary. But there were a lot of words in certain pages that were really expensive. And then it would go like, like very, I don't know, it was, and again, consistent. 
like really expensive right. words and just like really late words for several chapters. <laughs> and also, I think sometimes I would get thrown out because there would be vocabulary where it's like, wait, are they on a futuristic earth thing? Would they be saying cool? <laughs> <laughs> She's wearing sunglasses. She's wearing sunglasses. And, <laughs> but uh, the, there were parts that just weren't quite jiving with me. But I, I eventually was able to just, okay, whatever. We're going to keep going with the story. Let myself just stay inside. I did enjoy the interactions between the characters, although the descriptions of how Harrow had treated Nav or Gideon Gideon Nav throughout their childhood was just traumatizing and how their relationship develops. I'm like, no, no, she was a horrible person <laughs> at the end. Um, but I get it. I get the the point of them having had, they were the closest, they were the only two children of their generation. Um, so th they had this very tumultuous childhood. They were um, not the only two. Always. Right. There yeah. were other kids at one point. Yes. 200, 200 children at one point. A whole generation gone. And these are the last two left for a reason. And what you're saying is totally true. She was a horrible person. And I'm laughing because I kind of liked Harold from the beginning. Definitely by the end, I really liked her. And I want to read the second book. But it's an interesting character. Yeah, yeah. And I was going to say, like, I... You know, Gideon keeps saying that Harrow is her, like, arch nemesis and the bane of her existence, but I never really got that they fully hated each other, even at the beginning. There, It was this kind of tired, like, really, are we going to do this again? Mm -hmm. But I didn't get hatred out of them. They feel like sibs. Yeah, they people do. that grew up together, and then there's a, a power disparity as well, because the necromancy is definitely more powerful than Gideon with her sword. I want to talk about a little bit how Gideon has to go through a vow of silence when she, because um, she does. It's not a vow of silence. Harrow tells her, "Don't talk to anybody." <laughs> so she tells everybody <laughs> that that Gideon has a vow of silence, and I like how she she just doesn't talk to people, and she realizes, "Oh, people kind of open up to me when they think I'm not going to say anything." <laughs> and then later on, when she does talk, and the other teenagers that are in that are there, the the, the house of the four, the fourth house kids, and they're like, "Oh, you don't sound like how we thought you would sound." <laughs> <laughs> it's just this mystique she had around herself and she's telling people to just like you know how much she hates them and that they're terrible or you know like you know how she cusses at everybody <laughs> and they're like oh you don't sound like how we thought you were gonna sound that's always the way it happens i i think the the humor of it really did uh surprise me and i was i really enjoyed how because i did chuckle out loud several times <laughs> so it's like Wow, yeah, this is this is entertaining. Okay. So the next question is, uh, what are your thoughts about the world building in this book? For whatever reason, I didn't have trouble um, putting myself in that or those worlds. And she does a really cool blend of like, um, I don't know, she has her own like kind of military structure, religious structure, not like anything we know necessary. In fact, it's like uh, centered around Banerjee, which is um, energy that the necromancers use, but that's one one of the strong parts of the book. I thought it's like this different world she puts us in. 
you get the sense throughout the uh of the society in decline too like even even on um dominicus is that the first planet Dominicus. I think Canon House. I think Dominicus is. Okay. I think Dominicus is the sun. Right. <laughs> yeah, you can see Dominicus sun. from. Yeah. <laughs> right. So Canon House. <laughs> I mean, even even there, you get the sense that like it's dying. But is that not by design? Because the society like looks for death. That's not really explained, but that's a great theory. <laughs> that's why I bought into it. <laughs> I think it's real. No, I'm just kidding. I do think the magic system is really great. I w- I wanted a little bit more in depth. And as I'm listening to this conversation, a map would have been good. Yeah. I feel like if they added a map to this book of the planets and the houses and the sun, that would have done a lot to establish. Uh, I, I feel like it's just these really small little things that could have helped get you into the world a little bit better. So I think as we talked about, yeah. it falters in establishing itself. And I've read some other books too, where they don't spoon feed uh, he wrote the Fractal Prince. Uh, I can't remember the author's name in the first book that I read, but um, that that book is. I'm gonna look it up. Hold on. Meanwhile, I'll just say I had trouble with the characters at first. Just that there were like a lot of them for me. I was like a little overwhelmed. I I also was overwhelmed by the characters. I think, um, and listen, what you're saying by adding a map, I. JD, I spoke with him. He said he has a glossary in his paperback, and I had a hardback, and I did not have a glossary. <laughs> so there's like or inconsistencies across publications of the book, <laughs> which just like, oh, maybe they're getting it, and they're each time they publish something, they add something <laughs> new to it. Or, or they heard feedback like, that's a lot of people, that's a lot of characters. Could you maybe throw a couple of tidbits out there? So mine, the uh, the cast of uh, characters was at the beginning. The houses or the actual characters? Actual characters. Okay, yeah, yeah. mine was in the back, and it's like I, I still kind of got lost. There were just a lot of characters for me. It, it listed each house and then the characters from each house. Oh, okay. That's that's what I was saying. There's um in the paperback, it's slightly different. It goes in like slightly more into the characters, like three or four from each house, and like almost like a little paragraph on, it, as opposed to the night pass. Blah 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 blah. Alyssa, did you find that author? Yeah. So the book is called The Quantum Thief, which is a great book, by the way. I'm a sucker for anything set on futuristic Mars, but they don't spoon feed you at all, and it's got hard science, and it goes crazy which you're still in because you're in the world and it develops at a pace that makes sense, even though you're like, I'm confused, but it's a confusion that you'll accept because there's so much cool stuff happening that you want to stay on board. But I feel like in this book for a good chunk of it, my confusion is genuine. And it's not, sometimes an author builds the book in a way where you're like, Ooh, I'm hooked because there's something that I don't understand. And I really want you to unpack it, but I didn't feel like that was, super successful here it wasn't quite satisfying it was close but just wait i think when the action happened at the end that's when i'm like okay this is really great i want to keep going but yeah at the beginning like when i didn't even know the really understand the setting that we were in at that that initial those initial first three or four chapters it was like like what is happening <laughs> that's too much confusion for me where i'm pulled out of the story and i don't want to like i don't want to read this but so yeah, there's there's something at that beginning where just a little 
I don't know. I don't know. I'm not a writer, so I don't know how to <laughs> to say where where I need to have happening. But there was it didn't seem enough information where I was just always just always confused. And I'm just like having to push through to get to where I'm no longer confused. Yeah, like you, you can be confused. Sometimes there's confusion, but there's a sort of payoff, especially if it's written. But here you don't always get the payoff. Sometimes you're just like, okay, I just I was scratching my head. That's what I got from that. So in the story, um, there have been summoned to Kanan House. So I realized that we didn't quite explain what's happened <laughs> this part where they're summoned to Kanan House <laughs> because they're all going to be trained to be uh, lichters. And it's this thing where, you know, I that that was in the summary, but um so that was like, okay, and they get there. And what I found amusing was the teacher said, Oh, I'm not gonna teach you. I I'm not a lichter. How can I teach you how to be a lichter? <laughs> Go explore and figure it out. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the first like kind of hard breaks between genres that I didn't get off to. It's like at that part for me at the beginning, at the beginning, it seemed like a like a like they were on a giant mansion with escape rooms or something for a while but then it's like okay i can get into the challenges and stuff but it was a weird weird turn at first well and there is a lichter amongst them isn't there yes yes an unknown oh okay <laughs> that yeah was that set up? Do you do you all think, I mean, I'm not a reader of mystery books or mysteries very often. So I know some people who read a lot of mysteries, they can pick out all the, all the little clues and they know who did it way before you get to the end. Would, do you think there was enough of a trail of breadcrumbs with this character or did it come out of nowhere for you? It kind of came out of nowhere for me. Yeah. At the end, and I should preface this by saying like when it comes to mysteries, I am like, I can't follow them. But um, at the end, it looks like it could have been like a device or whatever but she does it well enough to like well, i was surprised but i've seen that the premise of what happened i guess i don't know how to explain this but that type of uh turnabout for lack of a better word happened in other stories definitely yeah i i feel like it was kind of like a like a twist ending like yeah uh what is it the the horror jason where the first movie it's not jason it's his mom <laughs> it's oh yeah, like, yeah. It, it's like friday oh that, yeah friday the 13th where it's like that came out of nowhere. <laughs> I, I felt a little bit like that. For I didn't have enough of, like you said, breadcrumbs um, to make me realize. Like, like, it was a whodunit, but I think there was so much mystery around the world of necromancy and how they're trying to learn to be lichters and like what kind of creatures are out there that, that could be hunting them while they're while they're training that i was just like i don't uh. and there was a little bit oddities with her with with um dulcinea's cavalier where everybody's like i don't know about that guy <laughs> but and she's like if you look at it she's like the the classic person that would be in like a, a horror movie or whatever that like you don't suspect but all of a sudden whoa Okay, it was there right before my eyes. So maybe they're just genre elements that I'm not familiar with since I'm more of a sci-fi fantasy reader and I know all those tropes by heart, but I don't know I was mystery say, tropes like, and horror tropes. Yeah, for us, yeah, I didn't see it coming, but I'm sure someone who's like, you know, 
loves and devours mysteries, whatever they probably kind of. Yeah, I, I also am not as familiar. So that could have been something that they would have picked up on. I just um, I, I don't I don't know. It could also be that that also wasn't quite handled. Well. I, but yeah, I, I'm not quite sure. <laughs> Some things were set up really well, though. I knew what was going to happen with Har- uh, with uh, Harrow and Gideon. That part was set up. The end sacrifice, I thought, was there were enough breadcrumbs along the way that I feel like the end where Gideon sacrifices herself and becomes, um, I guess, part of the, the fuel for Lycterhood for mm-hmm. Harrow that felt earned deserved and satisfactory to me I, and it was built yes. correctly yes i agree that was that was very well done i enjoyed that part and seeing although i do, I, I do tend to have a hard time when it's like the care the characters hate each other so much <laughs> it's yeah. just like but I, I still i did enjoy seeing their relationship grow and develop um and kind of come to an understanding with each other yeah I think you're you're probably all familiar with the mystery concept of the red herring. So you do at least know of that mechanism. Yes. And I feel like there is a lot of setup with Dulcinea uh, starting out. Because you think, how does Dulcinea arrive on the planet? There's like this dramatic scene where she falls out of her ship and she's coughing up blood. And, um, you know, the... Gideon has to go help the priests lay her on the floor, and then when Gideon can't talk, Dulcinea is commanding her to do things, um, and one of which is to draw her sword, and from that motion alone, Dulcinea can tell right away, you're used to handling a heavier weapon. Now, why would that necromancer know that why i mean it seems it seems like it's a okay. moment i think yeah i can see what you're saying because if her backstory was supposed to be this uh damsel that is dying and that's how what's fueling her necromancy and even though she's a powerful necromancer um why would she have been paying attention to fighting styles <laughs> yeah I, I thought so it was, that makes sense i thought it, i, I this could be me just reading into it, but or what? I, this is what I thought was that she was just like um, I don't know, like if you were like higher class or noble, you would know how the people around you. I can't put it into words. I'm sorry. I tried. You'd be an observer of their fighting enough to where you would you would know. Yeah, at least the style of like grabbing your your sword or rapier or whatever you call it. I don't, I don't know. I don't buy that. <laughs> I don't buy that. I, I'm I'm selling it. So <laughs> I'm not picking up what you're offering. But I do agree with you, Tim. I think, yeah. And I that's I'm just bad at mysteries. Yeah. I'm bad at picking up on that nuanced stuff. I like my I like my stories predictable. <laughs> yes. Even though that I do know that communism is a red herring, I am not good at mysteries either. <laughs> I would not have been able to figure out clue at all. <laughs> that call from J. Edgar Hoover was for me. <laughs> What about the the big reveal with Harrow's background? This is this is the huge spoiler to me. The baby, the babies. Yeah, and they weren't just babies. It was babies all the way up to like eighteen or nineteen years old. That whole that whole generation of two hundred children 
just killed so that Harrow can be a necromancer, uh, an heir for the ninth house. Uh, I thought it was terrible, but I think I was just in such a rush to get to the end of the book. I was like, yeah, okay, sure. Keep going. <laughs> yeah. Kind of rushed here too, but was it like the, they thought that was their only way to survive or something like that? Or am I... Yeah, it was their only way to ensure because they had to make the sacrifice because it was some kind of blood necro like a uh, sinful type of necromancy that they did that um, oh, yeah, yeah. that to ensure that the ninth house had an heir that was going to definitely be a necromancer. I don't. I feel like I kind of was getting like that was already kind of been sprinkled throughout when they would talk about how they were the only two and why would you be the only two guys when <laughs> and, and so I so I it wasn't as shocking I think because we had already had a little bit of like inkling that that there was some yeah there was a reason it wasn't a point a, a poisoning of the air that accidentally killed all the children. It's something that Harrow carries around with her, oh. though. Oh, yeah. I do appreciate the depth of the characters that they are breathing. You can, you could, they are very well-developed characters, and she has great guilt for it. Yeah, you're, you're sort of led to believe at the beginning that Harrow is, is actually using necromancy to control her parents and and things like that mm -hmm. and it's it's somewhat true but it's not the full story because because her parents have very willingly done this to themselves as well right yes they because of harrow's great guilt because their whole purpose of the ninth house is to protect the locked tomb and make sure that it remains locked. But because Harrow has, she knows, she knows from a very young age that this is the reason 200 children were killed. So she wants to go see what's in the locked tomb. What's the whole big deal? Why was she created for this, this, this horrible way that she was created? And and her parents finding out that she went and she goes into the lock tomb, they kill themselves. And now uh, Gideon, who found out that Harrow had done this and went and told on her, she has great guilt because because now Harrow's parents have killed themselves. And if it weren't for her, they would still be alive, which is like, oh, they're, they're just driven by trauma and guilt. These two characters. It really drives them together in that one scene in the pool. And that scene is my favorite scene in the book where they're just like holding on to each other and talking about all the dam damage and trauma that they've been through that's that have led them to this point and they kind of come clean on their shared secrets. Yeah, they finally, they finally talk to each other like individuals. <laughs> I liked that too. It was really great. And then all their face paint just melting into the pool. <laughs> yes, they become more human to each other in that aspect. I really, yeah, it was a really, there's very nice soft touches of writing in this book every now and then, like often. And so I really, really liked that scene too. It was really well done. And the face paint. I mean, you can really <laughs> tell that, you can really tell that the person <laughs> that wrote this book wore a lot of goth fuck. You can really tell that the person that wrote this book 
wore a lot of goth face paint <laughs> because <laughs> they talk about all the problems that you have with it sweating on oh, yeah. and getting wet in the pool and the acne. I mean, you can tell that this person <laughs> the has acne. Yes. the experience with this, this full face makeup and the nightmare that it become if you're eating or you're fighting or you're, I don't know, sweating blood because you're doing a bunch of uh, necromancy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So if someone is just a sucker for spoilers in this, but listening to this book has not read the book, they basically, uh, the knight puts makeup on to make themselves look like corpses. Like skeletons. Yeah. <laughs> it's very, I, I, I thought of, uh, very much thought of the Day of the Dead with that aspect oh, yeah, of it. Yeah. Well, the religious overtones are are throughout. I mean, like, think also like they're praying with the, uh, with, Knuckle with some bones. beads yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> beads knuckle, made from yeah. knuckle bones and... yeah she's got her own um prayer to the but in this religion it's uh, that the like anti-resurrection that the locked tomb stay locked and the dead stay dead and yeah there's lots lots of uh i don't know um i want to say overtones because it's just out there but like uh nods to that to the whatever you call this religion Oh yeah, and they all worship the god. Their is the emperor the god. Their their emperor is their god, and their god is their emperor. (laughs) Yeah, one flesh, one end, baby. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So religion drives their entire society, and the hierarchy of their society. It's it's an intrinsic part of the the story, the government, the politics. Yeah, a lot of the the um, I don't know we'd call them friars or whatever uh, the religious hierarchy were in the military prior to that. Um, a, a setting that I could envision really well, like for whatever reason, when, when they're in that sanctum or church in the beginning, and it's like filled with skeletons. That I don't know if that just seemed really cool. <laughs> bro on the ninth, that was the sanctum behind the big doors that Gideon was afraid to go through. Oh, right. They're ossuaries. They're great temples of bones. Yeah. At the beginning of this, I think it was just because I had just watched the the Mario movie. I felt like I was in Bowser land. <laughs> and I was picturing the all the skeletons as turtle skeletons. And... <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> nice. That's your book, Tim. It'll be great. So I have a question. Who was Gideon Nav really? Because remember the note that Gideon has that she puts in her pocket and it has yeah. her name on it and the paper is supposed to be really, really old. Yeah. But it mentions her specifically by name. Who is Gideon Nav? I have a theory. I right, Go ahead. So I wondered if, okay, so the Lichter that's revealed at the end, is it Cytheria? Cynthia, oh, whatever Kai, the name is. Kai, well, I I did an audio re- listen to it, so they the the audio book person pronounced it as Kytheria. Thank you. <laughs> so Kytheria, Kytheria had a necromancer. I mean, had a cavalier that she absorbed. Oh yeah, and she says something about her eyes having ah, I'm failing again. <laughs> but like, <laughs> she's much similar to a cavalier or something, but with prettier eyes or whatever. So. Is our Gideon Nav like a clone, a reproduction, a resurrection? Yeah, I, I would think maybe like of her cavalier. Because I was getting like a neo type vibe. 
So I wasn't thinking clone, but definitely like a, another edition of that same character, however she got there. I kept I thought. waiting. I kept waiting for a reveal on that. I know. Satisfied, I, dissatisfied that I haven't gotten I, one yet. <laughs> I think because of things like that, they do have really, that's, they're really great um, leadings into the next books because it's uh, i think it was a trilogy but turned into a series yeah, yeah. so I, I think those are really great questions that are hopefully answered in the next books <laughs> and <laughs> but now that gideon nab has been absorbed subsumed right? by like Harrow hark i mean are we gonna find out is she gonna be like a little voice is she gonna be like um in the wind-up girl jaidi who was the fee, remember, for the lieutenant? Oh. Always her conscience, always whispering. Well, Maybe. I like will Gideon I, be around? <laughs> I think she is in the book, though. Doesn't she say, like, in a word or two after she's been absorbed or whatever you said? So. She does, but Harrow says she thinks it's just her own mind projecting okay. it. So I don't. I don't yeah. know. We don't know. Yeah, it's it's because at one point Giddy even says, "I'm just a, a figment of your imagination making this work." But then, but is she? Because that's like well, something she would have said. We don't. Right. We don't know. Doesn't the emperor need new lighters because the old lighters have been going crazy? Oh yeah, like they're some are some have been killed and the, some are going crazy, like. Uh, Kytheria slash like, Dulcidea. Like having two voices inside your head? <laughs> that would be crazy. Tear you apart. <laughs> or, or knowing how you became a lifter and if you absorbed somebody you loved and that, and yeah. Seems very traumatic. 10,000 years Kytheria was alive <laughs> in this weird dying state. And they're at war. That's the other piece that really gets cemented at the end is that yeah. the whole solar system of planets is at war with who? Not really sure. Right. Because the cohort and the how the fourth house, the the two teens, they were saying that they were gonna go off to to the to the front or something oh, yeah. like that yeah. with the cohort. Yeah. And mm -hmm. that didn't happen. So it's like, what who are they fighting? What's going yeah. on? And that's where Gideon wanted to go initially too. She wanted to go fight. Who are they fighting? But, yeah, but Gideon just wanted to escape. I mean, it could have been like a traveling circus and Gideon would have been on board. I don't know. <laughs> she really likes swinging that broadsword. She, That's true. She likes, That's yeah. true. <laughs> I love that she was so just strong. They talked a lot about her strength, her muscles, how much she trained, but it took, it, it was a long time before you got that piece of information, but I just love that she was so strong. And what mm -hmm. do you all think about her as a female character versus if she were a male character? How do you think I the think... story would have been different if she was a man? There, It's more emotive for that kind of role. Um, I mean, like if it was a guy, like just based on well, being a guy and reading stories like that, um, you'll have the emotion there's as such but it'll be like i guess in this proper place where she kind of like will break into the emotion where i don't know like i guess without we wouldn't need a setup like if she needs to emote she's just gonna do it if like whatever's happening between her and Haro um like takes a turn like she she turns with it as opposed to like a guy would be more structured generally there's 
a different um, or more even distribution of gender roles in this in some ways, too. Because um, Aglamine, Aglamine is, is female, but is the the weapons master, the uh, the battle teacher. Yeah, I really appreciated the the gender roles of of Gideon and Aglamine, Aglamine, that one. <laughs> Even um, oh goodness, towards the end, that other. Camilla, the other cavalier of Palamedes, um, she was fighting till even after her her necromancer kamikazed himself. Yeah. <laughs> um, the The last survivors were women. Oh wait, I think wasn't it House the second House? There were two women also, and those were officers in the army the cohort hort, cohort yeah, and that aspect it seemed like it was skewed towards the women but i was cool yes. with it because as long as there's as it long seemed, as there's kick-ass action either way I'm, I'm good it seemed to be more of a matriarchal type society yeah. if not a, a, a sharing of of power with the two gender roles the book was full of tough women. You're right. I think women were the majority. They were definitely the majority of all the characters in all kinds of roles. But if Harrow was a man with it, with dirty magazines and ogling the women and doing the things that Harrow does, how would you feel about that character versus Harrow yeah, as a woman? I, I think it it's more impactful that it's a woman because it's like, well, yeah, women, there's there's magazines like that for women too but it's just like not even a thing but uh that that's mentioned it's not a <laughs> it's like of course there's playboy but you know there's a playgirl too <laughs> you know I, but though she ha i like that hers are like co dirty comic strips <laughs> i like comics. that she makes them up makes up names titles for I, I think she might even make her own <laughs> but i think it's like yeah women girls teenagers they have these thoughts and urges too uh why not just be like it's what happens it's just part of it <laughs> and, I, and I had no problem with that but and you said that she is a teenager she's 18 i just read it um but that part of it that's what i have the issue with. not like their maturity level but just so like well, how can we have to look at YA novel here and then the rest of the, you know, 430 pages? No, not so much. It cracked me up how whenever she thought of the fourth house teenagers who are like 14, she referred to them as shitty teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> cracked me up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so isn't the individual in the locked tomb a woman? It's a girl. Yes. A woman or a girl. <laughs> and and this is the emperor's greatest enemy, right? And that's why the tomb is locked. Could that be Gideon's mother? Oh. So they but implied no. that they implied that Gideon's that mother. Direction. Yeah, they implied that Gideon's mother was uh in the tombs of the ninth. That her body made it to the surface of the planet. Die, and she died, Gideon survived, but that she was buried in a tomb 
beneath the she... ninth house and that Gideon right. had to go see her occasionally. Yeah, yeah, she would visit some places. I think they also where her mom was, so she would what... know that girl or woman she saw, sorry, wasn't her mom when she saw it. I think uh, when her mom died, they also tried to bring back her soul because that's something that that they do. They question souls to find out what's who are you, what are you doing, what the, give us your information. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I don't think it's the because also, yeah, I, I don't I don't think so. <laughs> Hasn't the block tomb also been there for like ten thousand years? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That too. But I like your conjecture. Just throwing it's, it out there. It's a good idea. <laughs> Who is that person? <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, Harrowhark going in there and and seeing who was in the locked tomb caused all that issue with, uh, with her parents. Um, did it have some kind of impact on her as well? Yeah, I think the whole the whole meaning, the whole fact that she's that chosen person, yeah, it's like it's her how can you divorce that from who you are at any time? So why why is the tomb I guess what I'm getting at is the tomb they want the tomb to stay locked forever because this person is perceived as dangerous. So what could happen by somebody actually going in there? Could that person imprint something on them, or um, oh, would that like be so enough to perform some kind of quick magic that we don't know about? Or uh, the person that has invaded the tomb, or the person in the tomb that does that person imprint on the invader, or is the invader imprinting? Well, what I mean is whoever goes into the tomb, are they opening themselves up ah, to danger? I see. And the Besides danger the of carrying something out, out with, with them. them. Okay, okay. Interesting. I have uh, re- read a little bit of the Wikipedia plots for the second tube next to two no, books. No, 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 no. Uh, so you speak interesting things, Tim. <laughs> Just saying, there has to be more to the to that. So, are we at? Uh, who would you add this? Uh, recommend this book to? I don't. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna. I don't know. <laughs> People that you want to increase their vocabulary. Right. You know, somebody who wants a different, who's like into like the gothic stuff, somebody who wants to, who's into like this dystopic future. Um, I think it might be more for like uh, young adults, maybe not teens, but maybe teens, maybe teens who are branching out of their YA books. It might be a good jumping into, I don't know. It's, it's a fun little romp. I, it's like popcorn to me. It's a popcorn book where it's like fun, not deep. I don't have to stress about my life and my place in the world after reading this book. Maybe maybe because I thought they were just a little older, like 20 or 24. I don't know if that prior to me, but definitely like young adult, but not traditional young adult, like uh, 17 to whatever, but like maybe, maybe that age, but to like up to 24. Yeah, like 24. Um, definitely people who like gothic or like action or fantasy, I would recommend it too. 
dark fantasy readers. Yeah. And yeah, and a little yeah. bit of horror. Anybody I think who's into um like Edward Scissorhands or Yes, um, Tim Burton stuff. <laughs> yes. Anybody who liked Tim Burton stuff for sure. Beetlejuice. Yeah. It has that kind of a feel. I think people who liked those things would also like this book. Hey, you can edit this however you want, Tim, but don't let me don't stop recording without my joke for what it's worth. We've been waiting this whole time, JD. You're <laughs> your joke. <laughs> okay, you might have to edit this because it's, it's a hard setup. So let me try. Here's first take one of my joke. Why didn't the necromancer reattach his decapitated skeletons? Why? He didn't want them getting ahead of themselves. <laughs> <laughs> It's like a 60 40 but ratio now. There were 60 to like it, 40 they're like. But th- wait, you know, there was a similar joke in the book. There's like What's fun, the silly, punny jokes in the book. Uh, when Dulcinea has the cavalier's head in her lap and uh-huh. she starts coughing and the head rolls off and um, a- Aante catches it, she's like, You don't want to lose your head. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I know I made the joke silly. before reading that. This, yeah, this. yeah. <laughs> yes, because you didn't tell it, it to me. Whatever reason I woke up with that. <laughs> but there that there was that type of humor running through the book, these like you know, silly little quips. <laughs> so I'm gonna recommend this book to my second cousin Megan. And uh yeah. But no, I agree totally with the uh, Beetlejuice vibe. I had the Beetlejuice vibe. I felt like she was constantly getting ready to go to a Misfits concert. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but. It took me back to my high school days. <laughs> that that would have been cool. I mean, I know it's a different time. I guess it's kind of Earthish, way, way, way in the future. But like, if there was like a soundtrack to it, like to get into that world or whatever, like referencing songs that we know. Me and Tim, Tim's already got something started. We'll start our, our fan, uh, what do you call it? Fan fiction of this. <laughs> we'll do the soundtrack it'll be cool. the, the giddy okay. in the night soundtrack <laughs> <laughs> write us sapl escape the earth at gmail.com with your giddy in the night soundtrack suggestions yes or if you do actual giddy in the ninth music go for it send it oh yeah definitely be sure and give us written permission to play it though so with that, I want to say thank you, everyone, for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode or other episodes we've done, please remember to subscribe or give us a good rating. View our book lists and past episodes on the Escape the Earth Lib Guide at guides.mysapl.org forward slash ETE. You can write us with stories, suggestions, random thoughts, or interesting sci-fi geek culture information at SAPL escape the earth at gmail.com all smushed together like one word and join us next month for a discussion of the stars undying by Emery Robbins adios bye bye thanks everybody escape the earth